Welcome to Fat Muscle Project, your home for building your best physique. Oh yeah, you know what that means. Hey, what's up everyone? Welcome back to the Fat Muscle Project podcast. I'm John Gorman, your host. We've got IPE Pro Fat Muscle Shipping Manager, basically the manager of everything, registered dietitian, jack of all trades, really. Jacob Clesson's in the house. Jake, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Good. Now that I got my caffeine cracked today. <laughs> caffeine yeah. Yep. Yeah. I've uh I've been low caffeine, just keeping it to 200 megs or lower almost almost every day. So I'm enjoying these little skinny white monsters as you can see over at the office we got a fridge full of them over there so <laughs> yeah you have like a stack of like 48 and like right next to my desk yeah so <laughs> for people that don't know we're pretty close by the gym that i used to own that jason wells bought from us and um he's got the connection to coke so i have him hook it up we we get get cheaper by the case over there so i just i don't have my old coke account like i did when i used to own the gym but these come in handy um Man, it's it's been a little bit, so we do apologize. It's been three or four weeks since we've uploaded a podcast. 2023 has just been absolutely crazy for us. We had a record January. We're having a record February. It's the last day of February as we record this. And things have just been completely crazy. So getting a podcast recorded was at the bottom of our list, so we apologize for that. But if you are listening to this, we're going to drop this on Thursday, March 2nd, and we've already dropped our brand new products. Jacob, why don't you take everybody through the four new things that we're about to drop? And one of them we're going to specifically talk a little bit about, not trying to sell supplements here on the podcast, but there's a new addition that that we'll get into, but let everybody know the four new products that we're dropping. Yeah. So we have a new brick by brick whey isolate. It's birthday cake flavor. So if you've had birthday cake protein, it, and this protein is the it's the best birthday cake protein I've ever had. I mean, it's delicious. Agreed. We have that. Uh, we have a new hard to kill flavor. We call it Cosmic Orange. So it's the same great formula we've had before, just just a new flavor. We have L citrulline. So L citrulline is just a unflavored powder, and um, it's great to mix in. Like you can add it with your pre workout on top of it if you want extra citrulline, or you can mix it in and like kind of create your own pre workout like with creatine and whatever else you want to add. And then speaking yeah. of creatine, we now have a, a 200 gram creatine tub instead of the 500. So now if you don't want to buy hundred servings all at once, you can now buy, I think it's, it's 40 servings per tub. Yep. Yeah. And, and so the thing I want to talk a little bit about citrulline, um, you've got quite a bit of knowledge and experience on this. I've been using it as well. A lot of people wonder, so why would you release a, an unflavored powdered citrulline product at six grams per serving? And, you know, we put it on there that you can mix half a scoop with your current pre-workout. Our pre-workout has six grams of citrulline in it, but a lot of the research is done between six and eight grams. And there's other places that it works really well. I know you and I had a, why don't you let everybody know how it works though, real quick, like what the benefits are of using citrulline if you're going to use it before a workout, because I don't think a lot of people understand why it's put in products. Yeah. So citrulline is used as a vasodilator. So it's going to help exp expand your blood vessels, get more blood and fluid pumped to your muscles, better pumps and better endurance. Yeah. Essentially it's, it, you're going to have better workouts. It's not just for a pump. 
you know, you deliver more nutrients to the muscle with increased blood flow. And then I know for me personally, if, if you're an old hat like me and you're listening and you're, you know, 40 or over, or you have blood pressure issues, it's been one of the key ingredients that I've been using the past couple of months to get my blood pressure down because it opens up blood vessels. It allows for easier passage, increased blood flow, which means lower blood pressure. So constricted blood vessels, that's, that's where you have an issue. Um, so if you're somebody that needs to drop your blood pressure, I do recommend it. I've been using it for two months in addition to bulletproof and dropping my caffeine, but we'll get to that on another podcast. So anyway, we've been super busy getting ready for all this stuff. We just had a huge apparel drop as well. So it's just, it's just been crazy, but Jacob, we've got four really good questions here. Um, I'm just going to jump right into it. And then this one, I have a ton of experience on, obviously I've taught classes and spoke about this all over the place. You do this as well. And you've been doing it for years. I'm going to let you start this first one off. Here's a question. How do you both know when to do an insulin sensitivity reset? What are the signs before you start and how do you know it's working? So just from an athlete's perspective, tell everybody your experience and when you knew it was time for you to start doing resets. Yeah, so that's a great question. So I actually just finished doing one. Um, I started, it's kind of like a prolonged reset plus a mini cut in one, but I started back in beginning of January. But basically like, I know I'm ready for a reset whenever like there's certain things I can look for in my body, how my physique's looking, how I'm feeling, and also just looking at labs and looking at your, your blood glucose levels. Um, but to start at the beginning, so basically like for me coming out of prep when I'm staging, like I'm burning through carbs quick, insulin sensitivity is through the roof. I feel great. You know, I can take down 500 carbs easy. Okay. Then as you go into off season, you start gaining some weight, which is good and healthy. You want to put on fat. But if you keep pounding those carbs over and over again, eventually you're going to start to become a little bit, your, your insulin sensitivity is going to decrease. And I noticed because like weight goes on a little bit easier. So say if you're eating 500 carbs a day and then your weight slowly starts climbing, not necessarily muscle mass, but more fat mass, you can, you can kind of tell you're not clearing out those carbs as easily as you should be. Um, another way you could tell it would be for me, like my digestion changes. So if I eat a really high carb meal, my digestion kind of just feels slow. I feel sluggish, bloated. That's another way I can tell. And then just checking your labs. So you can check your fasted labs, whether it's, uh, so between 70, 70 and 99 is considered normal for fasting blood glucose. And then 99 to 125 would be considered pre-diabetic. So if you're anywhere in that range, it's definitely time to do some kind of insulin reset. Yeah. And of course, anything above 125 is considered diabetic. Yeah. Um, using a glucometer is a simple way to do yeah. it too. If, if, if you don't, you know, go and do your labs, but a lot of times people get their labs, like maybe every six months and they see that fast blood glucose level and that, that tunes them into the, all right, Hey, I probably need to pay attention to this, but you know, for some people you can just spot it because it makes a lot of sense. The longer you are off season and eating a lot of carbs, you secrete more insulin, right? And as you lose mm -hmm. insulin sensitivity, it means your body has to secrete more insulin to get the job done, which makes your sensitivity go down even more. So over the long haul, for a lot of people, unless you're just genetically elite, and some people have pretty good genetics um, and fast metabolisms and good insulin sensitivity year round, um, I'm someone that mine goes to shit pretty decently fast. You're someone you can eat a lot of carbs 
and you stay lean and you have abs pretty much year round, but even yours at some point goes to shit and you can start to see the changes in physique. Like you just notice that you're starting to gain fat a little bit faster than normal. Those pumps in the gym just are not the same, which is decreased insulin sensitivity. And you're very in tune with your physique. And I do this with my clients at least once a year. Normally, as long as they're sticking to the plan and we systematically get ready for it, I kind of pair it with a mini cut. But let's talk about the ways that people can cut back and what they should do. So go ahead and talk through, and I know you've done keto before, but go ahead and talk through what you just did on your last reset. Then I'll, I'll chime in with a couple other options. Yeah. So what I did this time, so this time I just cut on my carbs a little bit throughout the entire day. So like, say if I was eating 450 carbs a day, I cut down to like 300, 280 ish, but I had it evenly spaced throughout the day. I know in the past when I've done it before, I, I, uh, cut out all carbs except pre and post workout. So I was real low carb, like a hundred grams total. So like 50 pre 50 post. And that seemed to work too, but this time since i knew it was gonna be a little bit longer of a cut i decided to to not go so aggressive yeah and that's that's the main key is you think you have to think about how can you not bombard the insulin receptor with so much insulin and and carbohydrates right so you lowering carbs is the first thing and i have a lot of clients that just do pre and post and that's how we start and that will clear it up fast normally in about if you're pretty bad it's going to take about four weeks If you're somebody that's not too bad, but you're seeing blood glucose start to get up like, you know, upper 90s, lower 100s, you know, it's kind of bouncing between there. Two or three weeks on pre and post carbs only will help. And you can replace the rest of your calories that you just dropped with fats because fats don't really impact insulin sensitivity as much. Uh, Not not actually, they just don't at all. Um, So that's a good way to do it and give it four to six weeks, measure blood glucose. I like to tell people to measure their blood glucose about three to four hours after a carb meal, because sometimes in the morning you get this effect called the dawn phenomenon, which means your body starts to secrete blood glucose to wake your body up. That's why cortisol is a little higher in the morning, which means you secrete blood glucose. It's going to be a little bit elevated in the morning for a lot of people. And sometimes you can get a good reading three to four hours after eating a carb meal. And that's accurate. That That's accurate to me. That tells me that someone's body is secreting less insulin. They're getting a blood sugar cleared after you eat carbs, because that's the response to eating carbohydrates. And we want to make sure that you're in a healthy range. So I like to get people down into the eighties. Some people like if I can get them into lower nineties, that's just what I have to stick with. But you know, eighties is ideal. A lot of people ask, well, is is seventies, is that too low? You're not going to see a ton of people in the seventies, but 70s is okay. It's when you start getting lower than that, you're you're either looking at a faulty glucometer or you're going to start to look at hypoglycemia and you're starting to crash a little bit. And you know, mm-hmm. you, you should never get to that range. You know, that that's when people take things like you know, metformin, which is a very powerful glucose disposal agent. Our GDA, our glucose disposal agent, I recommend taking that with carb meals during your reset because what it does is it acts like an, it's an insulin mimicker, right? It helps clear blood sugar without using more insulin. So things like vanadyl sulfate and berberine and chromium, in other words, it's kind of the sister to insulin. It helps clear the blood sugar down without secreting more insulin. So it improves insulin sensitivity. And I'm a big fan of those year round, by the way. So if you want to have your leanest, most muscular physique, use a glucose disposal agent. Um, Man, I think that's pretty much, yeah. You said three to four hours post meal, you want to be around 80, 70 to 80. 
Uh, I, I like my people to be in the 80s. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I don't get a lot of people in the 70s. I get if I can get them down into the 80s, I feel pretty good with that because when you're when you're dropping from, you know, low 100s mostly, um, which that's where I have most people when they're in the off season. I see them if they have an issue, they're like 105. I like to get them down into the 80s. It takes about four weeks and we're good. I just don't see very many, you know, guys like uh, Warren House, for example. He cleans up really quick. He went from like 90s down to 70s, like in a couple of weeks. So I, I knew he was good. But just most people listening know you're probably not going to see a ton of numbers in the 70s. Just from my experience doing it with a lot of people. Um, I know like two hours postprandial, so two hours after a meal containing carbs, 140 and below is considered normal ranges. I mean, obviously, a little bit lower you can get. And you, you said three to four hours, but within two hours. 140 or less yeah i like to try and let it clear and that tells me it's clearing in plenty of time if three to four Mm -hmm. hours later it's not clearing there's there's some issues there Um, but four hours is really good but most people eat every three hours you know six meals bro like that's how that's the way (laughs) most of us are right yeah so you know we're like ah fuck i'm not waiting more than three hours so three hours but um i like to see it there in the 80s let's let's touch on keto real quick um you can use a ketogenic approach. It, I like to recommend that only in one instance. And that's if you've done about three to four weeks on pre and post carbs and you're not getting your numbers to move as fast as you want, give ketogenic dieting a, a shot for about two to three weeks. That will completely lower insulin. Not completely. You never completely lower it, but it will really, really lower it. And that's going to freshen up those receptors and then go back to pre and post carbs for a week or two and then start adding carbs back in. But um, you did a ketogenic reset. I think it was what was it 2021? Was it before your prep? When did when did you do that? Yeah, it was it was like the fall before my my prep in the summer. Yeah, and you did that for what, it was 2020, actually. Yeah, so you did it for what eight weeks? Uh yeah, I did actual keto for eight weeks. So like leading up to keto, I did carbs pre and post for two weeks, and then coming out of the ketosis i did carbs pre and post two weeks yeah yeah and your insulin sensitivity cleaned up super super fast and that was kind of the prep before the prep as we like yeah. to, to say because you had spent so long off season um of course you make the mistake of sending me pictures when you're like full-blown off season one i always remember you say i look like a can of busted biscuits so of course i saved that and put it in my presentations to bust your chops but that to me is the perfect situation um <laughs> But, you know, keto was cool because you want to give it a shot because you're not really someone that typically ever really needs to run it, but you do diets, you do plans for other people and you got to see it firsthand. Um, man, it cleans it up fast, but yeah. I, I don't like to recommend it for most people because ketogenic diets are hardy diet. The hardest thing there is to stick to besides fasting. I mean, yeah, it, just, it was tough. Like I, I'm glad I did it because I have clients that ask me about it and I, I know the science behind it, but I've never truly done keto until that time. So it was a good learning experience, but I, I prefer my carbs. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I prefer to have at least some carbs. I'm, I'm right there with you. All right. Question number two, I've increased my food 350 to 500 calories the last two weeks. And I dropped two pounds. How is this possible? I was dieting and stuck for a while and I needed more energy. So here's the thing. Notice the last sentence. I was dieting and stuck for a while and needed more energy. So this person increased 350, 500 calories and boom, they started dropping weight. 
I'm going to get into the nuts and bolts of that here in a minute. Jacob, we were talking before the show started. You've got a perfect example. You had a female client um, that you just recently did this with. So tell us about what you did. Yeah. So a, a client came to me and her last coach had her eating. I can't remember the macros, but it, it came out to like 1,100 or 1,200 calories. So like super low, like a, a toddler should be eating more than that. You know, <laughs> So her weight stalled out. I mean, she was felt, feeling miserable. She wasn't lean like she wanted to be. Like she wasn't overweight, but she just wanted to be leaner. And I told her, I was like, hey, before we even try to get you leaner, the goal is to get your calories back up. That's the number one priority. So immediately I bumped her calories up 400, like 400 to 500 calories. She's her weight maintained the same for like two weeks. And then I upped it again. And then she started actually losing weight. And she was just like in shock of what happened. Yeah. It, it, a lot of the, the big key to that, first of all, is when people really adhere and stick to the diet, you should never gain fat adding going from 11, 1200 calories to 1600, for example, like you should never add, if you're active, you're working out, you know, probably five days a week or whatever it is, most days of the week, and you stick to the macros and the diet to a T, you should never gain fat. Sometimes people will gain a little bit of weight. And what that is, is they were so depleted that they fill out with carbohydrates and water and glycogen for, for the most part. But what people don't realize is happening here is a lot of the times when you're just beating yourself up, notice this person said they were stuck for a while and they needed more energy. Cortisol's through the roof. And when that happens, this is essentially almost like a small diet break. But what's happening is you're feeding yourself, you're going to lower cortisol. When cortisol is lower, your body will in turn make more of the hormones that you want to be a little bit higher, like thyroid hormone and, and T3, which is essentially your metabolism. So your metabolism speeds up. Cortisol drops, you drop a little bit of water weight because of that. Other things pick up. Testosterone will now be made more because you're not making as much cortisol. And this is all stuff that this is a good thing. And it goes along really well with a diet break, but sometimes just reverse dieting and being strict is the same thing. And you'll feel better. Your weight can either maintain or drop. And I've reverse dieted people and continued to add calories. I, I did it a little bit less. You know, I might add 200 calories at a time. It doesn't matter. It depends on the situation. And I've had people like Jason Wells, who everybody knows from the show, we did that and dropped. We did it for months and he dropped another 35 pounds going from 2,500 calories up to 3,000 because he was extremely strict and disciplined with it. And I think that's the key. So if you're listening and that's you in that situation, you're dieting, you're down on low calories, you're not making progress, give yourself a little bit of a break, add some food, add some calories, maybe it's 200, maybe it's 400, like Jacob talked about, or 500, but be strict and give it a week. So the other thing I like to recommend too, is if you're doing a lot of cardio, just drop the cardio out. We're right now, I've got about almost 20 people doing this rapid fat loss plan, and we're not going to get into that. I just dropped that episode over on Elite Physique University, our sister episode, I had people on their diet break weeks do this. A lot of them I had to add like 50 carbs, for example. That's about 200 calories and drop their cardio completely. So now their body's not having to recover from as much. And a lot of people are just dropping weight on their diet break weeks. So it's the same thing. You've got to think about your body's not something just to beat the shit out of. You've got to take care of it. And I remember this guy that I worked with a long time ago. His name was Skip Hill. He always liked to say, you know, back this back before 2010, you should always think of fat loss as something you coerce fat loss. You don't try and force it off. 
because your mm-hmm. body is so much smarter than you and hormones impact everything a lot more than people realize. You can't just take a chainsaw to fat loss. You've got to try and coerce it off. It, it, Jacob, you know that because you've been through multiple preps. Like, you know what stalls feel like. You know how to coerce it off. You don't just throw everything in the kitchen sink at it. So this is one of those approaches I think a lot of people will learn from. Do you have anything else that you want to add, add to that? Uh, I was going to say, just like with that client I had, she, I mean, we even cut her training back another day or two. So she was only training four or five days a week, getting so much better sleep and and the weight just started coming off eventually. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's, and that's another thing, man, better sleep. Like it just, it's all, when you start to understand how the body works and how to, there's times when cortisol needs to be high. Like it's just part of it. Like that's part of long dieting and preps. Um, but just dieting in general. So when you start to understand how the body works, and we're going to get into more of that here on the podcast, things about cortisol and how sleep affects fat loss and, you know, fat loss tips and tools. We'll, we'll get into all that. We have so many episodes coming up. So stay tuned for that. Here's a fun one. Actually, I'm going to save this for last. Let's skip down to number four. I'm deep in the off season and trying to grow. What are your thoughts on cardio and the types of cardio in the off season? Does it hamper growth? This is something, man, we could do a whole episode on this. Um, Jacob, your thoughts personally for you in the off season when it comes to cardio, because you're, you're always trying to grow and legs have been one of those areas where you've grown really well. What are your thoughts on cardio in the off season? What, what's, what's cardio? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I think cardio in the off season is good. Um, I mean, you know, steady state, just doing steady state in your off season just for heart health is great. You don't want to be doing a ton, you know, it's like 15 minutes a day just to, you know, stay active, get your heart rate up. But uh, hit cardio is is great and especially in your off season. Um I can't remember what the percentage is, but I know after training and doing hit cardio, your your growth hormone levels are increased by a certain percentage for up to the next 24 hours. Um so that is definitely going to help grow your muscles. I mean and I know me and you, we like to structure our training days to where I do hit cardio on the days I'm trying to improve certain muscle groups. Yeah. You know, so, you know, we pair, you know, that increase in growth hormone with an increase in higher carbs on say on my chest or shoulder day. And, you know, that's give me the most optimal way to, to increase muscle mass. Yeah. Hit, hit cardio is very interesting. And I know, man, in the fitness industry, everything's a cycle, right? Like you go through where, Hit cardio is all the rage and steady state's going to eat up all your leg muscle. And then you go through hit cardio is going to trash your CNS and you should only do steady state and only do it at like 100 beats a minute for your heart rate. And it all works, right? It's understanding what fits for you and your client. That's the art of this thing, whether you're a coach or you're a professional bodybuilder like Jacob, or you're just someone trying to look your best, like Josh Michaels, one of our lead by example sponsored athletes. It's one of those things to where hit cardio is interesting because there's a lot of studies out there that show, say you train legs and then you're going to go do five hit intervals on a bike, which is fucking brutal by the way. Um, and it's going to be hard because you've already trained your legs. Basically hit like that is an extension of your workout. So steady state cardio, like, like riding a bike or walking on an incline on a treadmill or whatever that primarily burns fat during workout. When you do hit like five hit sprints on a bike, that burns mostly glycogen and it turns on protein synthesis, just like a workout. It's like an extension of your workout. So when it comes to growing your legs, if you're going to do a little bit of cardio, it's going to allow you to eat more. Doing a hit session on your leg day once a week, if you're trying to bring your legs up, it's not a bad idea because you can eat more food that day. 
that one is going to help you stay a little bit leaner because it increases your metabolic rate for 24 to 48 hours, depending on how much and how hard you do it. But it's also not going to hurt muscle growth. Now, if you did a lot of steady state cardio and we're talking what Jacob said was perfect, you know, 10, 15 minutes a day for heart health, that's not going to eat away your leg muscles. But what, what will hurt it is if you're cranking the incline up on three, you're going hard, 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 and you're just causing a lot of muscle damage on your legs every single day. And it's how hard you do the cardio and it's how many days you do the cardio because your legs still have to recover. So if you're doing it to the point where your legs feel heavy and your leg training suffering, you're doing too much steady state. And I can't remember the man, there was a study that I read, and this has been back in 2016. When you do a lot of steady state cardio, remember it primarily burns fat, but it can cause a lot of muscle damage to your legs, especially done over and over and over. It was, it actually works to shut off protein synthesis. So it's like when you train your legs, you turn protein synthesis on, you turn the faucet on. And if you do a lot of steady state cardio over and over and over, it's, it tries to shut the faucet, turn it more to the off. Uh, portion. I don't think it ever will negate muscle gain, but it's going to cause a lot of issues with muscle growth. Or if you're dieting and you're trying to hold on to your leg size, the last thing you want to do is a massive amount of cardio, like walking, right? Or, or jogging, because that shows the most muscle loss and the most muscle damage. There are also studies out there that show riding the bike it's a little bit easier on muscle loss. Like it's not going to cause as much probably because there's not as much eccentric muscle damage, like, like running, jogging, inclines, stuff like that. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Just remember that, you know, we're talking about the off season here. Don't do cardio, steady state cardio in a sense that keeps you to try and stay lean because you're not sticking to the diet. I'd rather people do a little bit of cardio stick to their diet. And if you're getting fat, don't throw a bunch of cardio in, just tighten the diet up. And a mm -hmm. lot of people, they try and out exercise a bad diet. And that's, if you're trying to grow, you're trying to put muscle on cardio is not going to be the answer to that. It should be in there for heart health and, and you know, keep your cardiovascular and your, in your lungs and your systems like that in a good place. Um, but like, you don't even, you're so accurate with your training. You don't really even do it much you know, and, and you're a professional. Yeah, I mean, like I'll, I don't ever do cardio in the gym. Like I'll go walk my dogs or I'll go mountain biking, you know, and right. I'll mountain bike for a couple of hours, but I'm not like pedaling full speed that whole time. You know, I'm, you know, it's like, it's more of like a hit workout essentially. So I'm going slow and then the hitting, like, you know, going harder at some points and yeah, but yeah. But I would like to mention though. So if you are in your off season and your, your prep is approaching, it would almost be wise to cut out your cardio you know, leading up to your prep that way, your body is not adapted to the cardio anymore. And then you can throw it back in when you start prepping and it'll help get things going again. Yeah. That's something, that's something I've been recommending for a while and it just works really well. I actually made a post on this on my Instagram page, probably, I don't know, a month ago and some IPB pro got on there. Good physique, great athlete. His comment was like, is this not the worst advice ever? And I never got him to answer me back. I said, why is that the worst advice? Why would you want to be doing say 20 minutes of cardio multiple days a week in the off season and then start your prep? You're already used to 20 minutes. Now you're going to have to do like 30 or 40 to start yeah, just yeah. to create a deficit. Right? So I, my, my thoughts were always pull cardio out for a month, let your body get unused to doing cardio. And then when you start your prep, drop your calories, boom, throw in cardio, but you only have to throw in 10 or 15 minutes to start, you know, maybe three or four days a week because your body's not used to doing it. Um, so that, that it's a good point, Jacob. Don't 
do a ton in the off season, then go start your prep already doing a decent amount because then you're going to be doing a lot, which is not what you want. Cardio right. is not the best thing for muscle gain or retention. It's not, but it's also a necessary evil for most of us. You can get by with prepping and not doing any cardio, but you're not going to eat as much. Like that's the trade-off. You know, mm-hmm. I remember prepping Leslie. She's like, Hey, I'd, I'd rather just do more cardio. I don't want to drop my calories anymore because it was important to her. Like she wanted to eat more food and I get it. Um, But anyway, that's a whole other podcast. All right. Finally, the last question, and this is an interesting one because we both like to try different outside the box exercises, even though it's leg day and I fucking hate leg day and everybody listening knows I hate leg day. I do have some good ones because remember I'm a coach. So just because I'm going to say this doesn't mean these are ones I'm in the gym doing, but I have spent time doing these. Name an outside-of-the-box leg exercise that most people aren't doing that would be a nice addition to their training. So if you have two, go ahead and go ahead and name two. I've got one good one. Go ahead, you start. So I have I have one, but it's kind of like a superset. So it's jumping scissor squats, or it's just scissor jumps, like alternating scissor yeah. jumps. So it's essentially a lunge, but it's a more explosive lunge, and you're just jumping in place. But the kicker is I've been, so I was doing this for a couple months in a row and it just, my quads blew up. So I would do heavy dumbbell lunges. So 10 to 12 reps per leg. So 20 to 24 steps total heavy. And immediately after that, go straight into the jumping, the jumping scissors, the scissor jumps. And it just gets so much blood pumped into those quads. It is insane. Don't have to use any weight, just body weight. I mean, if you want, you can hold like 10 or 15 pound dumbbells but just doing body weight and then 20, like 20 ish reps of those jumps and your legs are on fire. Do three sets of that and best pump of your life. There's another one that you do. I'm going to bring it up um, because here's the thing. A lot of people are just not going to jump and those are, that's super cool. And I wish they would do it because I've seen it done. And you talk about a burn from hell Mm -hmm. people that don't want to jump. You do another one. And it's sissy squats. So talk about sissy squats because there may not to me be a more brutal, excruciating in a good way, quad exercise and sissy squats. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the point of the sissy squat when I do them is to get the best stretch on my quads. And so I use a Smith machine typically, and I put the bar about chest level and I can hold onto the bar this way and I can do the sissy squat, pushing my knees out in front of me. Yeah. I'm probably not going to do a very good job explaining this. Well, but, they, they, people can just look it up on YouTube though, for sure. Yeah. But it gets a super good stretch on your quads and just go nice and slow and controlled and do, you know, sets of 12 to 15 and your quads will be on fire. Yeah. Check out sissy squats. There's all kinds of variations. Um, man, those are brutal. The one that I'm going to add real quick and then we'll wrap the show up. I am really big on if you're stuck and you want to try something outside of the box, especially for hamstrings. So hamstrings were always perpetually my weakest body part, hardest to grow. And in 2000, up till 2014, 2015, the best thing that I could do to add size was I added a band to a leg curl machine. You can just have a buddy stand back and hold the band while it's hooked up to the part that you're curling with your legs, but add a heavy band and man, it changes everything. It gets harder as you get towards the peak contraction. You know, when you're curling the weight all the way up towards your glutes, it's harder. Um, and it's a completely different feel. And you're talking about, I, I feel every single fiber when I use a band. 
So try adding bands to any of your leg exercises, honestly, but especially on hamstring curls, it's a huge, huge game changer. You know, it's the same thing, you know, people that do like some of the females listening, they do hip thrusts with a barbell, right? It's one thing to do it with a barbell. It's another thing to do it with bands because it gets harder at the top of the hip thrust. And you're just not going to be able to create that with anything else. Like, so bands are a cool addition. Um, Try that. It keeps things fresh. Man, this has been a fun episode. We've got a lot more questions that Jacob and I will get to. And we've got some more guests to come on the show. I know Leslie's been hammering on us because we need to talk about the origins of fat muscle and, and kind of a behind the scenes episode on starting it out in the apparel company and kind of like, you know, morphing into a supplement company and you were right there along the way. So we'll have that coming soon. If you guys ever want to hit us up, check out the show notes. You've got Jacob's email in here. You've got my email in here. Send any questions you want or guests that you want to hear. And finally, please leave a review. So just hit pause wherever you're at, wherever you're listening to go ahead and leave us a review. We need these to get up because we're trying to get this up and ranked and it gets out to more people. So we really appreciate you guys. Please leave a review and we are going to get out of here. We'll be back soon with another episode for myself and Jacob. See you guys. See you.